kidney or trying to get me to believe she's having a kid and that the kid has a mustache and rap pretty emoji right back like damn she funny thanking god for the shows that's that plan b money thinking god my moms can't be grandmommy thinking god he ain't never make a plan b for me show code in my wine glass rock bottom and out rock paper switchblade rap got him a house pops got him a car bops got him a couch girl got him arrested Girl got him about. Welcome to episode 21 of the Setting the Edge podcast. I'm Justice Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host, Charles McDonald, the habitual line stepper. You can find him on Twitter at 4Verts. Say what's up to the people, Charles. What's up to the people? I hope you guys are all relaxed and ready to go into a smooth Easter weekend. Yeah, Charles just reminded me that it's Easter weekend. I'm a bad Catholic. Um, So we're doing it short this week. Uh, nothing really happened, so we should start with Trubisky. I mean, Trubisky apparently is going number one and number two if you're listening to any of this stuff. He's taking visits everywhere. He just took a visit with the Jets. Um, do we believe this at all? Sure. I mean, well, okay, well, what I thought was funny was uh, Justin Higdon, our pal, at AFC to NFC, he posted that uh, there were two reports that there's some turmoil in the Browns' front office where Hugh Jackson – one report said that Hugh Jackson wanted Miles Garrett and then the other report said that Hugh Jackson wanted Trubisky at one. So I don't know if it's a smokescreen, but, I mean, I'm all here for inhaling the smoke and just kind of talking about this stuff. <laughs> How crazy would it be if they picked Trubisky at one? Um, I feel like, I mean, I like him more than Wentz, and Wentz went two last year in a yeah. trade-up situation. I'll just say this about the Cleveland thing. Whichever one that Grossy guy wrote, right? I think that's his name, the ESPN yeah, dude Tony out in Grossi. Cleveland. Worst yeah, whichever one. America. Yeah, which whichever one he wrote, that's the wrong one. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Print that. I'm calling him out. That's fine. Yeah, but I see. I don't have a problem. I don't really think it's that big a deal. Uh, just because, like, when you look at what they have in place, you know, you already have they signed Batonio to a long, uh, Joel Batonio to a long term deal. Joe Thompson plays J.C. Treader, uh, Kevin Zeitler. You got two good pat, two good backs in Crowell and Duke Johnson. And then um, you signed Kenny Britton. You have Corey Coleman. So. For a rookie quarterback, the offense can kind of run itself, right? That's what I'm saying. So, for a rookie quarterback to kind of step in, uh, if you want to spend a number one pick on that, that's it's justifiable for sure, just because you haven't had a quarterback in forever. Uh, Mitch Trubisky personally wouldn't be the direction that I would go, but I, like you said, I, I do think he's better than both Goff and Wentz were last year. I think the my biggest worry with that with the Cleveland thing, right is I would probably argue that after quarterback and left tackle, like I think we've seen enough with how Philadelphia and Green Bay have fallen off when they lose their right tackle or they're down a tackle and that tackle has to move to left tackle, right? Um, Where having two elite tackles, right, or at least like top 20 tackles in the league can totally change what your offense looks like because you end up getting a numbers game and you can just run six-man protection all the time with your running back. And I think Cleveland's Cleveland's still missing a right tackle. I mean, they're going to try out Cameron Irvin out there. Like, I'd feel a lot better about that Cleveland line if if someone came out and was like, yes, Joel Petonio or like J.C. Treader was playing right tackle instead of, you know, inside. Because I don't think you need – you don't need three great interior, you know, pass blockers. Yeah, I, that's, I agree. But, I mean, they, they, they do have a pretty damn good interior offensive line. So let's say right. that – let's say that this happened to – or this is what the Browns decide to do. They go quarterback at one. I mean, we could discuss forever. Watson, Kaiser, Trubisky, Mahomes, whatever. Uh, and then at 12, 
let's say they pick Garyon Conley from Ohio State. So you got uh, your quarterback, you got a corner, and then at 33, they pick Taylor Moten to plug in at right tackle. How would you feel about that? I mean, I am a huge fan of, I think Gary and Conley is probably like my sixth overall player. And then Taylor Moten obviously is like, that's our guy, man. So, yeah, love that, I mean, you, you you tell me that and I'm like, that offense is going to run itself. They just got two steals at least and a quarterback. So, And I mean, on the, on the defensive side, like their defense is, at, at least the front seven is starting to come into its own a little bit. I mean, Danny Sheldon played pretty well last year, especially versus Ron. Agba had his moments, and you have two really good middle linebackers in uh, Christian Kirksey and Jamie Collins. So, I, I while, while adding Miles Garrett could put that defense over the top, or not the over the top because the secondary is still a mess, but at least the front seven over the top, man, like, it, it's, it, it's a real discussion if you're Cleveland on whether or not you, you want to f- really try and find that franchise quarterback or not. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm the first round pass rusher guy. So I mean, at this point, if you, I think you're probably going to be able to get another shot at least in a trade up for a guy like, you know, Derek Rivers or T.J. Watt or Tyus Bowser at the end of the second round. To be totally honest, just because how deep this pass rushing class is. So if you miss out on the first wave of like the Solomon Thomas and the Charles Harris, right? You might as well wait until the back end of the second because you're going to get a caliber of guy that you could have gotten at the you know the mid of the middle of the first round unless you're unless you're the Timmy you know you're you're the Timmy Soldado team. You want to explain who who Timmy Soldado is in case we have some new listeners. He's a he is uh, on a per snap basis the most productive pass rusher in the history of college football. You want to say his real name though, where he went to Tim, school? Tim Williams. Tim Williams. Shouts to him. Apparently, uh, a massive red flag on. His scouting report is that he smokes cigarettes. I will give him a pack of Marlboros on the oh side. God. Like, I'm that's fine. I'll bum one off of him. He'll bum one off of me. We'll figure it out. It's it's not it's not a character issue. We got enough money going around. That's just, fine. Just to be clear, this podcast is heavily heavily anti tobacco products. We do not use any of those things. Anti all substances. Tobaccos are drugs. They're just legal drugs. The government's bad. Correct. All right. Now that's enough about the Browns because I'll 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 die before we keep talking about the Browns. Uh, let's talk about the Colts. They they had a pretty big signing today. Uh, well, we're, we're recording this on Thursday. It's going up on Friday. They signed Jonathan Hankins over from the uh, New York Giants to fill their void at nose tackle. And I I really like it. I, I think if you're a Colts fan, you have to be pretty pleased in the direction that Chris Ballard is, is taking his defense in his first offseason there. Yeah, I think so. The Giants offered him reportedly, allegedly. You can't trust journalists. Fake news, fake news. Um, he was offered four years, twenty-eight million by the Giants, and then signed three years, thirty million f- with the Colts. So he got like a three million dollar per year increase, uh, two million dollars, you know, net total. He's making more, not including whatever the bonus money would have been, and he's playing a year shorter for them. And he's still, I think, Hankins is still like a twenty-four-year-old or something like that. So he just, I mean, he's he just he's, turned twenty-five uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, so he's totally feasibly like a three, like a very real like three long term contract type of player. Um, the Colts, obviously, I mean, they probably had the weakest front seven. You know, you could probably could have made the case with the Cleveland Browns before they made that Jamie Collins trade and stuff like that, right? But I think the Colts now, like entering the offseason, had the weakest front seven, and they've added a lot of guys. I really like the Jabal Sheard move. I mean, if anyone follows me on Twitter, you know how I feel about Sheard. He's probably 
in the last decade a top three second round pass rusher and he's kind of like one of the more underrated guys in the league um john simon I, I th- he's okay too they john, yeah john simon's fine uh he ended up getting banged up a bit in houston and then houston had houston had like five pass rushers and he was the fifth but the fact like it, it was because he was in houston that he was the fifth guy like i think he could be like a third pass rusher on like a very good team you know what i mean like he could have been the shane ray guy to come off the bench or the Shaquille Barrett guy in, in Denver. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the move. I mean, New York kind of messed him up by bringing in Snacks, right? Like Snacks got brought in, and then he played nose tackle. So Hank has got moved to three. So he kind of played out of position last year, and last year was a contract year. So I assume that's probably why he ended up hanging on the market for forever, right? Yeah, and you know there were some rumblings that his agent was asking for uh, just a, a ridiculous amount of money. But I mean, I, I said back when we did our uh, free agency stuff for Bleacher Report, I, I said I, I thought that Hankins should have gotten more money than Poe uh, going into the free agency. And Poe ended up signing a, a one year, $8 million deal with Atlanta. And uh, Hankins now has the three year, $30 million deal from Indianapolis. So on a per year basis, uh, Hankins is making more right now. But I, I think the biggest thing for the Colts is. They get Der- they get David Perry out of there. Like David Perry was, quite honestly, he's just not an NFL caliber player. And you go back and watch like the Green Bay game and the Oakland game, and he's just getting bullied off the line, play after play after play, and he offers no pass rush. But the problem was they didn't really have anybody behind him because Zach Kerr was always banged up, and you don't want a guy like Hassan Ridgeway being your starting nose tackle. So they were just kind of stuck with with David Perry, who was just making life extremely difficult for the rest of that front seven. So, I mean, uh, David Perry was my lowest graded defensive tackle for NFL 1000. I think Jonathan Hankins was 15th or 16th, uh, or somewhere in that range. So that's obviously a, a massive upgrade. And look, I mean, the Colts, they needed to upgrade the physicality in the front seven. So going out and getting Sheard, Simon, and now Hankins – you, you got to be pretty pleased with their progress so far this offseason. Rest in peace, David Perry. Um, one, one quick thing. So Jonathan Hankins is making $10 million per year, right, on this new contract? Yeah. Uh, do you know what the combined entire interior defensive line unit in Arizona, which starts three down, you know, interior defensive lineman makes? Uh, no, but I do know that Kim Dietschy is like the, the highest paid one on there. It's like $10 million and Kim Dietschy is making like six. Good uh, do you know who's playing inside linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals? Next to Buchanan? No, Buchanan. A oh. safety. So uh, he's he's a linebacker pretty much. He's he's a linebacker, but um I think I think playing, you know, th- this whole trend of like, hey, we're gonna move this safety to linebacker and he's gonna be a linebacker and he'll be fast. I think that's fun with Calais Campbell's in front of you, you know, taking up some of these blockers. I think he's gonna be a lot less fun with like Josh Murrow is like your number one defensive end and he's playing on it like a two million dollar contract for one year um that arizona team is going to get ran on for like 150 yards like five times next year yeah so let's talk about arizona for a second do they have to do they have to take like malik mcdowell at 13 would they do that after taking kandichi last year um they seem to redshirt guys right so i mean even like humphreys wasn't even a starter and they drafted him in the first round. I think they're in a really weird spot because they're a like kind of like a draft and develop type of situation, right? I mean, they're betting on they're betting on their development and character, basically evaluations in Arizona. But they have a massive 
massively declining quarterback, right? I mean, we've all seen that since the Philadelphia game two years ago when he broke his finger, Carson Carson Palmer, or whatever he did with his finger. Um, his numbers just have not been the same since. His, like, interception ratio basically is, like, three times what it used to be. Uh, and then Bruce Arians is, like, 100 years old, and he's losing his mind because he thinks, you know, there's cadences on PAT attempts. So <laughs> uh, they're in a really weird spot. Like, that that's why I'm, like, I'm a big Kaiser fan, and I don't want – Kaiser to land in Arizona because I'm not sure if Arians will have a job this time next year, and I'm not sure if he should. Yeah, it's crazy how 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 fast life comes at you in the NFL. I mean, two years it's ago, the same were... thing with the Jets. Yeah, the Jet the Jets came off hot, and then like one thing went wrong where one key piece in in Revis right in a man defense on the back end was not that, and then it was like, oh, this team isn't built to compete. That's kind of how that offense in Arizona works where it's like, we need Carson Palmer to be all pro Carson Palmer and he's not all pro Carson Palmer anymore. And then that whole thing just kind of unravels. I think Bowles is kind of on, it seemed like the jets aren't anxious. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're not, they're not a team that's making all the like scared. Let's pick up mid-level veterans type thing, right? Like they're, they look like they're in a legitimate rebuild, but just the way that we've seen the NFL work, like I don't think Bowles is going to get three more years to try to, bring this team around i think he's probably got like two or maybe, one maybe like, yeah, if, maybe even one depending on what happens <laughs> this year <laughs> i mean they, yeah like okay so christian uh, christian hackenberg starts for you at quarterback if you don't get a quarterback in this draft class right or and if that McCown. happens or uh, i mean it, it, it's a look. it's a bad situation either way yeah like they okay so the jets they have to take a quarterback at six right like they just really don't have a choice uh, they got a lot of guys under contract. Like they basically, I don't know. So like, what? I mean, you have what Bryce Petty, Josh McCown, Christian Hackenberg under contract. We already know that uh, Hackenberg, or we already know that Petty and McCown can't play. And if you're gonna look at Hackenberg's rookie season, and they weren't comfortable playing him until the fourth preseason game, I mean that I I think you can put the writing on the wall there. Just because you have a lot of guys at quarterback doesn't mean you can't just keep throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. I would take quarterback at six if I were them. And uh, I, I know we've talked about this a lot, but when you see like uh, Malik Hooker or Jamal Adams being slotted in at six, how much is that changing the fortune of that Jets team? I think I think defensive back is probably more important in – New York than it is anywhere in the league. And I think that has to come. I mean, I guess it really depends on the general manager, right? I mean, if, if you're going to play like front office politics, which we know teams do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're going to play front office politics, um, are you drafting a quarterback that you don't really want this year to save your head coach? Or are you just kind of kind of let it run its course, grab talent? And then once you get a new head coach that you get to choose, right? then you pick a quarterback that fits his style and hopefully will be better at the top of the draft. Because it doesn't seem like when, when there are draft classes, when people aren't sold on a quarterback, right? I mean, the last time that happened was what uh, the Bortles, Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater year. And then the Geno Smith, the 2013 class where there's it's like the worst quarterback class of all time. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, I think we can both agree that this class is a lot better than whatever happened in 2013, right? Right. So just, I mean, I, I would even feel, I, I don't, okay, so I don't think Mitch Trubisky is a, a special quarterback prospect or anything, but 
he's a lot better than what you have right now. So if you can take that as six and then just kind of fill, figure out the rest of the draft. And do you think that drafting a quarterback at six would buy Todd Bowles another year, or would it be like a Jeff Fisher situation where he still has canned? Dude, um, I don't think these teams care anymore. To be totally honest, like I mean, San Francisco's rolled through. What is it? They're on their fourth head coach at four years, right? Yeah. I think I think that's factually correct. If I can do math right, I can't count to four. I went to public school in Oregon. Okay. Um, and then, like these these guys are just getting kicked. What what was it? Um, the 2012 draft class. I think that was Melvin Ingram's. So Melvin Ingram just got tagged, right? Yes. Yeah, he just got franchise tagged. Um, so he's not even signed on his second NFL contract, really, right? Since he was drafted, uh, three-fourths of the league have switched their head coaches. And that's, you know, that's only counting, you know, teams that have at least fired one head coach, not multiple head coaches. That's also not including teams who have fired their coordinators. That's also teams who have not fired their general managers. Like, there's very few places where quarterbacks are built to develop. And I don't think New York, based on what what I've seen in my entire lifetime watching football, is a spot where they can kind of, like, develop a guy. Yeah, I mean, and their offensive line is in a shaky spot, too, because they let go of Nick Mangold, and I I honestly, I don't know who the re- who else is on their offensive line. Is Clady still there? I'm, look, I'm looking at our lads right now. Uh, from left to right, it's Calvin Beecham, James Carpenter, Wesley Johnson, Brian Winters, and something called a Brent, I don't know how you say his oh, last Gio name. McKinney, Apparently, something like that? No, 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 no. He 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 played for he played for uh, Green Bay. No, it's Brent. His name starts with Q V. It's like Q Vale, basically. He was a college free agent in 2014, and that's who's their starting right tackle with Brandon Shell coming off the bench. Yeah, and I mean, I guess is is Eric Eckert, Eric Decker still on this team? Like, this is great radio. We're looking up the the Jets. <laughs> yes, but, this is this entire team is basically Eric Decker and Matt Forte. Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, but I don't know. I still think you got you got to take a quarterback just because. What are you punting? Uh, what are you punting this season for? Let's look ahead to the twenty eighteen. Look, listen. If, if I'm bit. if I'm Todd Bowles, I'm a thousand percent being like, yo, I need to handcuff myself to something. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm taking a quarterback at six, and it, even just looking ahead to the twenty eighteen draft, what what are you waiting for out there? We always talk about how the next quarterback class is better than what we have, but I mean, I don't even on the surface, I don't think that's true. People had Brad Kaya mocked as the first overall pick last year, like last August. Yeah, but okay. So, so your quarterback one is Kaiser, right? Yep. So, which of Mason Rudolph, Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Jake Browning are you taking over Kaiser? Uh, I haven't seen enough of Lamar yet. I want to take the other three based off what I've seen. What yeah. I've seen. Um, I saw a little bit of Rosen, but. Oh, yeah, Josh Rosen. I mean, who knows what the hell that is. He might be dead. He might be back to life. From the first he could be drowning, drowning, drowning in a uh, dorm pool. <laughs> hey, at least he's down for the, uh, for the anti-Trump cause. That's all that matters. Uh, but right, so we always say there's always next year. Each quarterback class is the, the next class is better. But even I, I think without looking too deeply into the 2018 class, I just, I just don't even think that's true on the surface. So... If you want a guy, you got to grab him at six. So Watson, Trubisky, Kaiser, I know you're you're recently off the Mahomes bandwagon, but Mahomes at six. Take a guy, 
See if you can latch your. See, see like you Mahomes, your Mahomes is kind of the Mahomes is kind of the interesting guy there, because if you're gonna have a bad offense anyway, structure's not gonna matter, man. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, that's like true. that's one where it's like, at least we picked a quarterback, right? And then let's roll with this, because obviously structure with Christian Hackenberg, and that's what everyone talked about was like, yeah, he's not he's not good at anything, but like he's really smart. Apparently that didn't work out too well. So if you're gonna see, you know, a team. Usually you see this a lot with like head coaches, right? Where like uh, if there's like a strict offensive guy, right? And he fails at head coach, he gets fired and then it's like team coach defensive coordinator. Uh I wasn't listening. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not editing this right. out either. <laughs> all right, all right. If you have an asshole offensive coach and he fails, right? A head coach, usually the reaction of that ownership is let's go take like the the player friendly defensive coach. Yeah, like the like the Falcons did with uh, Dan Quinn, I guess something like that. Sure, right. So if the Jets fail, I mean, I don't see why that wouldn't be the same at quarterback, where you have like structure, you know, label of being smart, Christian Hackenberg, and then you have just like wild gunning Patrick Mahomes. Like if Christian Hackenberg obviously isn't what they thought he was. He sucks. So, I mean, yeah, like, I don't even, when people talk about Christian Hackenberg's, Christian Hackenberg in the Jets, like, future plans, I, I don't even think they're even considering him as he's a real dead. option. He's, he's, he's dead. dead. If, if you can't put a guy out there in preseason, it's over. Even as a rookie, you know it's over. Right. I mean, the, people try to make, like, People try to make, like, I, I can just speak from this from, like, as a Packers fan, right? People were like, hey, man, we can get something for, for Brian Brom. Just trade him away and things like that. And it was like, nah, that, that dude just wasn't good. And then he, like, ended up in Buffalo and then out of the league. Like, guys disappear all the time. Quarterback's a position where, like, not even – every team doesn't even hold three quarterbacks on their roster. Like, if, if you're a QB2, your projected, you know, reps in a week is zero in game. So, yeah, like, yeah. It's not like Christian Hackenberg isn't getting development as a QB three right now in New York, right? And if they draft a quarterback at QB four, like we might be talking about free agent Christian Hackenberg on a practice squad with like the Steelers. And I mean, the game is the game. That's what happens. And I, I think yep. everyone knew that that was a huge reach at the time when when they made that pick. Teddy Bridgewater did a whole lot more than Christian Hackenberg and doesn't have a starting job. I mean that's that's completely different though. But I'm saying it's like prove it. You know what I mean? No, because he broke his leg. He like, he he destroyed his leg. But that's what I'm saying. Like these team, if if you don't do anything at quarterback for like two years, unless you're Mike Glennon for whatever reason, like you're gone. Yeah, that's true. Though though I I, I do think that that Teddy will end up getting another shot at some point if, if he does recover. He'll be a niner. Prayers up. All right. Uh. That's pretty much all we got for this week in the NFL. Let's kick it to this interview with Chris Burke. You want to introduce him? Yeah, Chris Burke. He uh, he works for Sports Illustrated. Yeah. He, okay. That that was very <laughs> descriptive. He, Chris Burke. He's, a, he's our he covers the draft over at, at uh, Sports Illustrated. He's our pal. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Burke underscore si. And we're going to answer draft questions for you. So we'll be right back. Stay with me. Walk with me, hold me near. 
we're back with our friend uh, Chris Burke. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Burke underscore SI. Uh, he's for Sports Illustrated. He writes about the NFL draft. He has the On the Clock uh, podcast with Sports Illustrated. Say what's up to the people, Chris. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for the plugs, too. Appreciate it. Yeah, just go ahead and plug everything. Where uh, If you've <laughs> ever listened to this before, I'm sure you're, yeah. you're like, wait, where are these people from and who do they write for? These people are horrible at hosts. <laughs> No, I like I I said I was listening. I listened. Uh, I pulled up the one from last week. Uh, well, I, I was traveling this weekend, so I was listening to the one with uh, Sigmund. And so no, I I am a, a long time first time. I think is the radio jargon. Long time listener, first time caller here. Nice. Well, welcome to the show. So <laughs> <laughs> we're two weeks out from the draft now, and I mean there there isn't too much going on in the NFL world, so. We're just going to take your questions, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of insightful debates based on the questions that we got. You guys ready to go? Yep. Let's get it cracking. All right. First question from Joe Horning at Joe Horning NFL. How overdrafted will Jabril Peppers be? I knew we were going to start with this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I. I my, I guess my question is where, at what point would you consider him being overdrafted? Uh, and I think it depends on how you feel about what Jabril Peppers can do and where he needs to be at the next level. I mean, I think if he settles into that bottom third of the first round, that's probably a good range for him. So if you go into the top 15-ish, top 16 to me, that's probably overdrafting. If you go into round two, I don't. I doubt he goes lower than round two. If you go into round two, I think you're probably getting a pretty good value because of what I, I think he can do. I think the athleticism. I mean, it's obviously tough because we're speculating so much about what exactly he'll be at the next level. But I think you sort of look into what he did in college and the physical traits. I mean, the thing about the, the thing about Michigan's defense last year is that. One, they didn't move him to linebacker necessarily because they thought he'd be a great linebacker. They moved him to linebacker because they had a bunch of guys in the secondary and not a very good linebacking core. And they, he was the only one that they could also use as that linebacker, that slot guy. I mean, he, he did so many things for them. And so he's really interesting in that way. And I, you know, the, the one quote that I brought up before, uh, in other interviews about Jabril Peppers is, Don Brown, the defensive coordinator there, talked about how they never had to really substitute in the secondary to, to match whatever package they were facing offensively. They just moved Peppers around. So if you had multiple receivers out there, you just slid them over into coverage. And if they went to a power scheme, you brought them back in at linebacker. And, and I think that that is something that can kind of get overlooked in terms of his value. It's just the, that mix and match ability. So... To me, I think once you get into the twenties, I would jump all over him personally. Yeah, I'm looking at your uh, I'm looking at your big board right now that you can find on Sports Illustrated. Go check it; it's a nice website. Um, he's listed as a safety for you. I, I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit because I think there's still people who are considering him a linebacker. I mean, there's even people who consider him like offensive specialist slash returner type of guy, right, on draft Twitter and all that stuff. So can you just talk about a little bit why you think he's more of a safety than linebacker? I know some people were like – a lot of it, I think, comes down to like a lot of people 
reference like high school recruiting for whatever reason, and I don't care what. <laughs> I'm, I'm an Oregon Ducks fan. I don't care what Brady Hoke thinks of a kid, you know, a high school kid being a defensive back. Like I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. I can tell you firsthand how that thing goes. So, um, can you kind of explain to our audience why you think of him more as a safety than a linebacker, and how that's kind of? I, I think that line's a little bit blurred. Well, I think we're going to agree on a lot of our Brady Hoke stances. I'll just throw that out there right now. As a Michigan guy here, I think we'll be on the same side of the Brady Hoke debate. Um, I mean, I think that well, I think some of this has to do with his deficiencies because I think as a linebacker, he's going to get clobbered too much. You know, if he's just a, a full-time linebacker, and I, I mean, he said as much himself at the combine and, and in interviews after that, just from a size perspective, I just don't think he fits there. And even if you're thinking about him in a, in a Dion Buchanan type role, and that's sort of, you know, the name we always throw out now is the safety linebacker hybrid. Buchanan's bigger and more physical uh, at the point of attack than Jabril Peppers. So I don't think from that perspective, you can really use him as a three down linebacker. So I think that that alone pushes him back to safety. But again, I think it, some of this goes to the athleticism and goes to what he did. If you go back, you know, last year there were some times he was at safety and, you know, it, it was just sort of hit or miss. He wasn't there very much. If you go back to 2015, there are a few more examples of it and especially of him out at cornerback. And I think that he can cover and, you know, kind of look at the, the interception numbers as being problematic you know, I I don't know how many other college linebacker interception numbers we're looking at. If you want to ding him for 2015 not picking off a bunch of passes, that's fine. But I don't think you hold it against him for 2016. And, you know, I think it's all about can he convert his footwork to playing at the safety spot. But I think that the reason that mainly I like him at safety is because aside from what you can do from there, it, sort of having him be interchangeable with whatever scheme you have on defense, is I think – you have more of an opportunity from there um, to sort of let him roam a little bit and let him, you know, if you want him to get downhill, if you find out that that's where he's best, then then great. You can let him go downhill. But I think he can also, he has the speed to go kind of sideline to sideline for you. He's really interesting in that, you know, he's a really good blitzer too. And I think he does work well coming downhill. But again, the phys- physical factor of it for me I just don't think you can play him in the box on a full-time basis in the NFL. I mean, he even had issues with that at Michigan. So I, I think you've got to take a chance that the that the speed and the footwork and the athleticism all translate to what he was doing before last year, which was playing more in a coverage role. Yeah, you know what's funny to me about the Dion Buchanan comps is like people throw around the term money backer, and yeah, Dion Buchanan he just he's just Arizona's middle linebacker, like. And, <laughs> right. you know, you you don't really want Jabril Peppers playing that role because he's, what, 205, 210 pounds? Like, that that just that doesn't work. So when I look at Peppers, I kind of see him in uh, the same role that like, the Seahawks and the Falcons use, Cam Chancellor and Keanu Neal, where uh, if you need them to come in the box, uh, it's not a big issue, but they can also play a little bit in coverage, like in the flats and even match up in man coverage against, like, tight ends and stuff. So that that's where I see him. I, I think he's more of a, a day two guy just because I don't really like the way he fits up against a run. Sometimes I think his his tackling is a little shaky. So I, I kind of see him more of a, as a, more of a project on defense than you do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the those comps make sense. I think my comp for him. I mean, I mentioned Malcolm Jenkins before as and, I, and Malcolm Jenkins was 
a lockdown corner in college uh, and just didn't necessarily pan out that way. So that's more um, more a projection of a role. Like I think I could see him being that type of player that Malcolm Jenkins has developed into, uh, where you're getting a ton of cover. You know, you can get a ton of coverage in the slot if you want to, but you can also drop him back and have him play some safety. So I think that. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's really the challenge with him. I guess it's it's sort of, and it's with it's like this with every guy in the draft. You know, what do you see? And it changes from person to person. But I think especially with him, because, you know, you're trying to take what he did at linebacker or at cornerback or even as a running back and figure out if it makes any sense anywhere else on the field. And, you know, I, I think it does. But at the same time, I understand people who are more hesitant than I am. All right, uh, let's move on to the next question from Ryan Marcone at Ryan Marcone. Why do people want Obi Melawanfu uh, to play safety instead of corner? I, I don't know, really. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think some of it is that I, I think he can be a cornerback potentially. I mean, you look at the sizes kind of through the roof, and I, he's he's interesting in the way that UConn used him too because um you know I think when we when you say that someone's a safety or was a college safety you know you just sort of think about that center fielder role and you know you think about them just playing single high or too high and they're always back there and uh and I they moved him around quite a bit and they did use him in some some man situations they did bring him down the slot they matched him up against um tight ends at least, uh, and some wide receivers at times too. So I think that there is some evidence that he could play that cornerback role. Again, I think some of this is projection, both that A, he can be good at it, that his skills would translate, but B, that I think there's some fear about his size and the things that he maybe has some issues. And I think some of those issues are what we always think of with bigger safeties, which is, you know, can they, can they flip their hips? Can they, can they turn? Can they move their feet quickly enough? And, uh, you know, I think some of that is just kind of the concern about his build. And we haven't seen guys like him necessarily be all that successful at safety. So, again, you're trying to find a spot where maybe he makes sense. And I, I think he can be kind of uh, maybe, again, you're talking about a mix and match guy. I mean, personally, I think he makes more sense as a safety. I don't know. What Do, have, do you guys have an opinion on him? Yes, I love Obi. <laughs> That's why I as a safety this or as a quarterback. As a safety, uh, yeah. What? See, I, I, we talked about this on the draft breakdown show with uh, Seth Cox and Justin Hickman last week. And what I think happens with Obi is that people see a, like six four, two twenty, and they want him to be Cam Chancellor and be just a physical punishing presence when that's. That's not really his style of play, and for me, that's fine. You're like, Just because you're big doesn't mean you have to be an absolute hammer against the run and decleating people. But what I thought was interesting about how you kind of use him was they kind of use him like how the uh, Cardinals used Tyron Matthew, where they played a lot of quarters coverage, and he got to play, uh, I, guess, I guess, the middle two quarter coverages, and yeah. they would blitz him off the side, and sometimes they would play him single high. So he was just kind of like their... I guess like their handyman in the secondary where that they, they kind of asked him to do a little bit of everything. And he was, he was pretty good at it. And I, I, I like him. I like him a lot. So I would be, I would take him in the top like 20 as a safety. Honestly, I don't know if that's a hot take or anything, but for the value that you can get 
uh, Obi Milawanfu at, I would take him at his value than wherever you're going to end up taking a guy like Jamal Adams. See, I don't know what you call him, right? But to me, he's kind of like Jamal Adams in that same way, where I think he's kind of like a close safety, where you play him too high, like you were saying, like maybe quarters coverage. Um, but like in quarters, like if there, if there's, you know, that's only a, a seven man box. You're not dropping any. You're getting, you're taking a number out of that to play too high. Um, I think he's the type of guy who could like close. Like if that guy played at Michigan State, we'd be talking about him, or like even Pittsburgh, right? The Narduzzi. Um, I think we'd t- be talking about him as like a first sure first round pick. I mean, uh, 22 prospects got listed. Uh, that were attending the draft for Philadelphia today, and seven of them were defensive backs, and that's not even including some of the biggest names um, in this class. And he wasn't one of them. So my my whole thing is like, I mean, he's kind of been rumored as a first round pick, and we had people talk about him as kind of like a Seattle cornerback, even though he's the opposite of that. Like he's not really he's not really that fluid guy who turns his hips. He's got more like makeup speed than anything, and I think that helps him as a, a guy who closes from a starting point that's over the top of it uh, over the top of an offense right like he is like he'll line up when he's too high um but i don't see it with him as a cornerback at all i think the other thing with playing him at cornerback and and obviously there are some cornerbacks who get involved and, and are pretty good tacklers but i think you're taking away some of what he does best if you move him to cornerback because i think you can you i mean i i think he is he's not like, like you guys have been saying, he's not a, a huge hitter necessarily. He's not he's not a, a guy that's going to just physically punish teams for 60 minutes. But I think he is pretty good at making those reads and getting downhill as a run defender and getting in, in, involved and getting into the box there. So I think if you move him out, you know, unless you have two safeties that you really can count on in that role, I mean, I think you're sort of taking away a guy who can help you on those early downs because of, uh, just his awareness and the the way that he uh, can read those run plays. I think he does that pretty well, too. All right. Uh, next question. Let's get Justice fired up a little bit. From Henry <laughs> Elizondo. See Kevin King mocked in the first round as of late, but seeing scouts have him outside the top 10 cornerback rankings. Where do you rank him? Uh... I'm trying to think of where I have him now in relation to the other cornerbacks. <laughs> I've been stuck on our top 300, so I can tell you is in relation to the other players in this class. Um, to me, I think he is a day two guy. I mean, I I get the measurables pushing him in to day one, and I understand, you know, especially now that Sidney Jones is out of the picture, that uh, or I mean, at least out of the picture, probably as a round one guy that that uh, there's a need for an, another cornerback to come up and King had the huge combine and, and all that. So I, 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 I get the love for him uh, and the athleticism is obviously there. Um, I don't think he necessarily played as athletically as his times showed, which is always kind of confusing. It was happen, you know, it's like the Jordan Willis, uh, syndrome this year like I think he obviously is a really good athlete but I didn't see that what he did at the combine necessarily on every play from him um and I don't think he's you know one of the reasons I uh really liked uh Sidney Jones was I, I think he's a little more physical than than Kevin King too you know and not that King's not a physical guy and I think that's why we see him mock to Seattle but I like Sidney Jones a little more in that role so um, 
for me, he's a day two guy. I think he can be a really good cornerback in the league. I don't think he's a necessarily in a number one cornerback on a roster, but um, I don't know which way you're getting fired up with this. If you want him to be a top ten guy or a or no, hundred first no, 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 no. on the rankings, yeah, let, he's, let, he's, he's a fun gunner. Let's play Justin. He's a mug gunner. If go. you want a guy who 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 will lunge into someone in man coverage with no safety help, like he's number one pick in this draft. So I got I, I got a question for you. Um, because these are guys that I'm not totally bought into as first round picks, but they were all invited to the draft, right? So we yeah. have uh, Awuzie, that I believe that's how you say his name, right? If not, yeah. I'm probably not going to learn. It's late April, mid April. Christ! All right, so Awuzie, oh, Awuzie, yeah. Adoree Jackson, Kevin King, and Tre'Davious White. If you had to start one of those guys right now as like a man cornerback, because I think all those guys uh, tested well in like agility drills. I think they're all being looked at as like man coverage type of guys. Which one of those guys do you start right now? Uh, am I playing? Yeah. Is he playing outside or is he playing in the slot? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it would be white. I think he's the best. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it would be white. I, I think a woozy probably, honestly, a woozy might be second for me though. Um, I'm with you there too. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, I think uh, so all I you have to King, do, you just call, I guess call King would Adore be three and Adore would be four. And I think if I'm ranking the, in order there, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised necessarily to that Adore Jackson got the invite because there obviously are some things there that, that NFL teams love, but I don't see him as a day one cornerback. I was surprised a got an invite because I don't think he's going in the first round personally. Um, I mean, maybe I obviously I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Uh, but in such a deep cornerback class and with some names that I think are obviously ahead of him heading into the into the draft, uh, I was surprised to see him come off the board there. I do think Tredavious White is the best of those guys if you're picking uh, a man coverage guy. And I think he could probably is Jackson's probably the most versatile across all facets of the game. But coverage wise, I think. Tredavious is probably the most versatile coverage guy of that group too. So he would be my, he would be tops on my list of the, those names. And, but I don't, and he's the only one I think would be round one in my book. So is he, is he a slot guy or is he a developmental outside guy for you? Cause he seems like a very, he almost seems like a very safe pick out of these, you know, out of this cornerback class, but I don't really see the upside of a woozy even as much as like a Kevin King, like I would start him over Kevin King right now, but I think Kevin King probably in two, three years is going to be better than him. Well, I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I think a woozy uh, has always been one of those guys. And I think, you know, maybe it was Jeff Risden, somebody else like has used the phrase, like he's a master of none, but he's really, you know, really good at pretty much everything you'd want a cornerback to do. You can, you can ask him to do it and expect that he'll do it fairly well. Uh, so he's solid in that, that way. But I think I, I do agree. I think that the upside's not necessarily there in the way that it is with King or even with Jackson to some extent. Um, so, I, I mean, I think I, I hate automatically just labeling guys slot guys when I think they can at least – hold their own outside and i i think awuzi can hold his own outside i mean i think his future if we're talking about him being 
uh, at his absolute best over the long haul. Maybe that is in the slot, but I wouldn't necessarily just uh, pigeonhole him in that role because I think he is solid enough outside and solid enough in man coverage and knows what he's doing out there um, that he could handle that job as a number two cornerback. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that the, I agree. I don't know that the upside's necessarily there like it is with some other guys in this class. All right, let's play a game. So the green room invitees got uh, announced today. Who 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 do we think is going to be last out of the green room? And for those who don't have the list, I'll just read it off real quick. Jamal Adams, John Allen, Awuzi, Derek Barnett, Garrett Bowles, Garyon Conley, Corey Davis, Leonard Fournette, Dory Jackson, Kevin King, Deshaun Kaiser, Marshawn Lattimore, Malik McDowell, Tack McKinley, Ryan Ramzik, uh, Hassan Reddick, Cam Robinson, John Ross, Solomon Thomas, Mitch Trubisky, Watson, and Trey White. Who comes out there last? Uh, it... Um, I mean, it might be a woozy, <laughs> to be honest, uh, because I think that, like I said, he was the one that kind of surprised me of the group because I'd never really expected him to be that round one guy. And I, I don't even know that he'll be the number one Colorado cornerback on every board, to be honest. So um, I think maybe him, Malik McDowell is kind of the wild card because I think he mm-hmm. could be a top 15 guy and i think he could be one of those guys that everyone just ends up hating and he he's the 81st guy off the board um i guess if he got invited that's a good sign for him that's there's a few teams that like him uh man that's tough i mean i guess i would go with i guess i'd go with the woozy but uh if you if either of you would like to <laughs> I, I think I'm, put yourself I'm gonna, out there. I think I'm gonna go McDowell just like yeah. just because his range is all over the place. I wouldn't be surprised if like anywhere between picks ten and sixty four, I would not be surprised like if he if he fell in that range. And then I, I thought it was interesting that the uh, the Vikings, Mike Zimmer, they went out to work him out in Michigan State. So it seems like they think they have a chance to get him or at least trade up within a feasible range to get him because they don't have a first round pick this year because of the Sam Bradford trade. So. Uh, I, I think I'm gonna go McDowell, or I think a dark horse Ky- here. Kaiser's interesting to me, honestly, because I mean I was talking to you about this, Charles. Yeah. Where I was talking to people, and they're like, "Webb is absolutely gonna go ahead of Deshaun Kaiser," and like there are teams that legitimately have Nathan Peterman above him too. And with that, I'm like, "All right, QB six, and <laughs> then QB six gets invited to the NFL draft." And I'm like, "I don't know." And then like the Brian Kelly onslaught is like full force brian kelly's getting invited to the combine too shots to brian kelly who uh who tried to force uh eddie vanderdose to go to play for him at notre dame even though he wanted his release to be back home i think because one of his family members had cancer or something and he made the he made uh hold on hold on hold on can you look up what you're gonna say before you just spew hot takes about if somebody has cancer (laughs) i'm like it's 80 it's 85 percent right brian kelly should be fired okay that's it is that it? Is that all you have to rant about right now? Shouts to Brian. Shouts to Brian Kelly, who got really lucky in one score games, and let and that led up to the the Manta Teo scandal and getting blown out by Alabama, and then he beat a bunch of D three guys with FCS talent. That's his legacy. That's okay. Brian Kelly. Uh, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I don't think. Yeah, well, I, I know you guys have talked about Kaiser on here before, so I don't want to go back rehash it, but I. I still find it hard to believe that he would be there beyond like even 34 to be honest. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, 
I don't really understand that that one. The lack of <laughs> Kaiser buzz has confused me for weeks now. So, yeah, I, I mean, he, he might go. I, I feel like he might end up going like top fifteen when it's all said and done. Like, if, just, he's, if he's sitting there for the Browns at twelve, I can see them just pulling the trigger right there. I mean, we're talking, not we're not necessarily talking, but people are talking about Trubisky as a potential number one overall. And frankly, there aren't a lot of spots where I would say Mitch Trubisky is substantially better than Deshaun Kaiser. So uh, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that this is going to be disastrous for Kaiser once the draft comes. But uh, again, been wrong before (laughs) and will be wrong again. (laughs) All right, last question before you let you out of here. From Nick Pasqualone, would you rather have hiccups for the rest of your life or <laughs> having the need to sneeze but never being able to? Thanks. Oh, man. Uh, I think I'd rather hiccups? have hiccups for the rest of your life. I think I would go with having the need to sneeze but never being able to. Just because like, you can kind of hide that a little bit so you don't look like a crazy person just walking around <laughs> hiccuping everywhere. You can kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that would itch so bad. I feel like that sensation would be worse for the rest of my life than the hiccups. All right, so this is how I know neither of you guys have blown out a knee before. So if you you have ACL surgery, what happens is, like, the side of your knee, it feels like there's an itch, but, like, the nerves in the, the side of your knee are dead. So, like, you have an itch for, like, two months that you can never scratch. And it's, like, the worst thing on earth. And I had to go through that two different times. I would never want that again. And that's what that sounds like. I'll do the hiccup thing, and I'll be, like, a freak show. And you put me, like, we'll figure out some way to make money off of it. It's fine. What? Uh, I I dislocated my knee. I never tore the ACL. Uh, That sounds sounds more painful. Because when I blew up my knee, it never hurt. Oh, this one hurt. But I didn't feel like I had an itch for two months. So I don't know. If you want the pain, there's another one. There's a follow-up. Do you want the pain of an injury right away? Or do you want it for the next two months after you get hurt? Uh, neither. <laughs> Just chop my legs off, man. These things are useless anyway. Yeah, you don't walk that much anyways. Uh, <laughs> okay. Chris, you have anything you want to plug before uh, we let you go? Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys mentioned the On The Clock podcast. I just mentioned, too, we have... Our draft season podcasts have been going up, um, which are uh, like narrative one episode podcast focused on just uh, draft prospects. There's uh, Jamal Adams, Austin Carr. I think the Zach Banner episode went up today. So uh, those are really cool, like 20 to 30 minutes each, just kind of telling those guys stories as they get ready for the draft. When are you going to invite Set in the Edge on the on the clock podcast? You guys, it, you guys can come on anytime you want. You, you just got to tell me when. Draft <laughs> week. You want to come next week? You can come next week. Draft week. Let's do it. It's fine. Inv- Let's go. Invade A-side. Let's do it. All right. All sounds right. like a date. Do the return, uh, the home and home. We'll get the second half of it next week. There we go. All right. So <laughs> that's going to conclude episode 21 of Setting the Edge. We'll be back next week with who knows. Yeah, we don't have to figure it out. See you guys next week. Stay frosty. <laughs>